a, a Giants podcast for Giants fans. By Giants fans. It's Sean Morash and Paul Dotino. Down the sideline, into the end zone. From the offseason, through the wins and the losses, it's time to take one, one, one giant, giant step, step. Hello! My voice is cracking and that's alright, it's a victory Monday here on One Giant Step. It's Sean Morash with Paul Dottino. The G-Men are one win away from a trip to the NFC Championship game. Why? Because they just won their first playoff game since Super Bowl 46. They just had Daniel Jones become the first Giants quarterback, not named Eli Manning, to win a playoff game since the 41-0 Vikings game, NFC Championship, Kerry Collins. The Giants are about to play on a Saturday for the first time in the playoffs since 1997. And they haven't won a playoff game in a year where they haven't made the Super Bowl since 1993. A lot of good vibes going on right now, Paul. Hello, how are you? Good morning, Sean. Yippee-ki-yo-ki-yay, mother. And you know the rest of that saying. Uh, This was quite an event. The uh, Minneapolis fans rocked the building. But I have to tell you, Sean, from being on the sideline, The Giants did bring their own contingent. These Giants fans, I don't know where they came from, if they were from other parts of the country or they came out from New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. But on that Giants sideline, there were pockets of blue spread out throughout. And they got loud. There were chants of defense. Let's go Giants. It was remarkable considering the decibels in Minnesota Stadium when the Vikings wanted it to go with the horn and the drums and stuff, went up to 115. Amazing. Incredible. Amazing. And, and we'll get into, obviously, everything with the game here still to come. But, you know, I thought a couple of things were funny. Obviously, the, uh, Minnesota putting up on the big video board the quote about Nick Gates and that, you know, he thought it would be louder to try to fire up the crowd. The Vikings coming out to, like, fake snow. Uh, and then you throw in the fact that the game was a little delayed because of the Bills-Dolphins game. I mean, a lot, a lot. Of, of work put into revving up that Minnesota crowd there, Paul. May not have You know mattered. what, Sean? They brought Adrian Peterson back. I don't know if you saw it on television, but before the game, they brought Adrian Peterson out onto the field behind one of the end zones. The people went bonkers. And then at one point during the timeout, they had their sideline reporter interview Adrian Peterson on the side of the field, and they put it up on the big scoreboard on the Jumbotron. And the place just went ballistic. But here's where they did not calculate the other part of that equation. Saquon Barkley idolizes Barry Sanders and Adrian Peterson. And Adrian Peterson is one of the guys who helped Barkley through the ACL injuries. In fact, Barkley talks about his admiration for Peterson all the time. Well, let me tell you something. Saquon Barkley was triply fired up yesterday. Oh. I personally believe that with Adrian Peterson in the house, Barkley even showed all that more gumption. Not that he needed any more motivation. Right. But I truly believe that Barkley in front of AP wanted to make sure that he put his best foot forward. And I know the numbers weren't super spectacular, 
But Barkley definitely had a significant impact in that game, aside from just his two touchdowns. Yeah, of course. And, you know, when everybody will look at nine carries and go, geez, they only handed it to him nine times. I mean, he was so good out of the backfield, and he was the guy, obviously, that you needed to account for even in the passing game. So let's start it off with early in the game, Paul, before we get to, obviously, the way things unfolded and ended and some questionable stuff towards the end. The Vikings get the ball. Giants deferred, go right down the field with their scripted plays, okay? Here is where I think this is really significant, and you could get a sense right away. That very easily could have been a, oh, no, this giant defense is in trouble. Daniel Jones comes out there, quick three and out, and things start to snowball. I thought, Paul, them getting the ball back and within the snap of a finger finding the ends on themselves, on the road in that spot, surviving that Viking early punch, was just such a tone setter. And I think, you know, we talk about Barkley, obviously was huge on that drive. But even for Daniel Jones, it was kind of like, yeah, I can hang. I could do this on the road. This crowd's not going to phase me. Uh, and it was so incredible. And then, of course, getting the ball back right away and then getting the Hodgins touchdown right after to go up 14-7. I mean, once Hodgins caught that ball and they had had those two touchdowns, Paul, I really felt like offensively, Daniel Jones had everybody's attention. And he was not going to be a reason they lost that football game yesterday. Well, I'll go one further. Remember the game a month ago in Minnesota? Giants were down 10 nothing. Yeah. The place was, was – was, they were blowing the roof off the place. And Daniel Jones methodically hit Hodgins late in the second quarter to make it a 10-7 to game. And the Giants had to continuously, you know, climb the stairs to make sure that they didn't let Minnesota escape in that one. Similar situation here. Uh, Cousins goes 7-7 for 54 yards on a 12-play, 75-yard touchdown drive right out of the box, yeah. holding the ball for over 68, uh, six minutes, six and a half minutes. So to your point, I said, all right, I've seen this script before. Let's just see what Daniel does with it, because as far as I'm concerned, there's no reason for him not to come right back and answer. And that's exactly what he did, just as he did the first time they played. Yeah, and the offensive line I thought was playing really well too early on in that first drive. Even Evan Neal, who's had his struggles, had a really big, good run block early on. Uh, Paul, this is where I got a little alarmed in the first half. Up 14-7. Okay. Looks like you could go for the jugular. Looks like it's going to be a touch touchdown. And, of course, you get you know the penalty on Daniel Bellinger. Now, look, penalties are going to happen. We've seen giant drives all year get stalled by penalties. The Giants end up settling for a field goal and going up 17-7, only to have Minnesota off of that field goal go right back down the field and make it 17-14. That was the first moment of the game, Paul, where I sat and went, oh, man, are we going to be ruining that penalty and ruining not going up 21-7? Because you go then, you know, obviously from being up 14 to you only get the field goal, then they answer right back, and it's, a, you know, a 3-7 to seven swing there. 20 plays, 85 yards, 11 and a half minutes on that drive that led to that field goal, the Gano from 25. And Paul, Paul, before longest... you finish, that drive, very reminiscent of the 07 drive the Giants had that ended in the field goal in the Super Bowl. Yes. The longest scoring drive of the Giants season. And really told the Vikings that, there's nothing that this Giants offense wants to do that they won't be able to do because they scored on some nice quick plays where they were able to get down the field and hit passes wherever they wanted to. And then they were also able to dink and dunk and grind it out and have Daniel Jones run. By the way, did you see how they broke out the Jones running plays in this one? Yeah. He scrambled a bunch, 
But in the first Vikings game, not one planned running play for Jones. You mentioned that, right? Yes. They broke it out this time, though, didn't they? Yeah. And the Vikings they, they had no answer. And, Paul, how about yeah. the trust of Jan- Daniel Jones, too? You were talking about that drive. The, was that the same drive with the freaking Statue of Liberty play as well? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I will say this. Um, as I go back and I look at my notes, what bothered me was they take the Jones touchdown off the board on the illegal shift, all right? Right. And they settle for field goal, and I'm saying to myself, they just left four points off the board. That could be, could be the first of a litany of mistakes that if the Giants lose, we will talk about how they squandered this game away and let what, what Minnesota win for the second straight time. So I, I will agree with you. I did not like seeing that because the Vikings come right back, 75-yard drive, Osborne's touchdown, and then the Giants go into halftime, and I'm thinking to myself, all right, if the Giants are truly going to put their stamp on this game and do everything that I believe they can, they will take that third-quarter kickoff and go right down the field. And they did. Six plays, 75 yards, Barkley with a 24-yard catch and run, Hodgins with a 32-yard catch, and then Bellinger with the touchdown. By the way, when he beats Patrick Peterson. Couldn't have been any better. No, it was the tone setter for the whole second half. That was, we we are not going to allow what the Vikings did do at halftime with their adjustments to phases. We are going right back down the field. It, it was the counterpunch. Yeah, it was really? the counterpunch. It set the tone. And by the way, you know, early decisions, right? That's why you defer. Giants got that ball and were able to set their own tone to start the second half to score that touchdown. You're absolutely right. And, and look, let's face it. As this game went on and on and on, and while things maybe didn't go entirely as the plan for the Giant defense, offensively, Daniel Jones was there to answer the bell at every single toll. It didn't matter whether it was with his legs or with his arm. I, you know, he was putting balls exactly where they needed to be. Daniel Jones was the best player on the football field yesterday, a football field that had a, had Justin Jefferson on it. Oh, by the way, you see what a difference that Dory Jackson makes in a game, six for 37 when bracketing Justin Jefferson as well. But Daniel Jones, I thought was really that. Him and Saquon as that tandem back and forth. I mean, think about it. The Giants, Paul, think about where they've come from early in the year. The wins versus Tennessee and Carolina and the ground the pound, ground the pound. They handed the ball off to Saquon Barkley nine times and scored 31 points in a playoff game on the road. You only do that if you have Daniel Jones playing well. No question. Now, let me give you a couple of numbers here that are really significant, and they're a lot of times the key indicators in a game. Giants was 7 of 13 on third down and 2 of 2 on fourth down, including the Jones quarterback keeper on the sneak on a drive that milked more time off the clock and put the Vikings in a rather precarious situation because when they finally got the ball back, they had burned all three of their timeouts. So the Giants helped their defense out there by draining some more clock. Giants held the ball for 33 and a half minutes in this game as well. And again, you mentioned it, Sean, and I think this is important because they did that with Jones throwing the ball 35 times Giants were very balanced. They ran it 30 times on the day because Jones himself had 17 rushes. A a number of them were scrambles. But these are are the kinds of things that you need to be able to do. You need to be able to win games by winning key indicators. 
and doing the doing those things in different ways. That's the key. You can't be a one-trick pony if you're going to do good things in this league. You got to be able to mix it up and find alternate ways to get the mission done. And Jones was this this was his best game in my opinion of all time. This was his career game. I agree. And Paul, I'm going to give you another number to back that up or another factoid to back that up. You talk about, you know, ways you win games. Okay. Giants didn't get a turnover, had that Julian Love one looked at quickly. By the way, Vikings, of course, went right down and scored after that. No sacks despite the pressures or everything that went with it. This is 11 quarterback hits, Sean. Yeah. 11 quarterback hits. And remember, what does Wake Martindale preach? He wants, okay, pressures, which which are, are a three headed monster. That means it's hurries, it's knockdowns, and it's sacks. Those three things add up to pressures. Wink Martindale wants a high-pressure number. That's more important to him than just the sack number because that's right. only one of the three components. That pass rush was good yesterday, and Cousins did a lot of quick game too. Yeah, and this is the stat I'm going to give you off of that. The Vikings yesterday became the only team in the Super Bowl era to complete at least 80% of their passes with no turnovers and no sacks allowed and still lose. NFL teams had been 47-0 and in the Super Bowl era when doing all of those checks in a game yesterday, before yesterday. That is insane. Yeah. And you only, by the way, if that if that's the trend, that means on the other side, your quarterback has played flawless football up and down the field. No question. Let, let, let me just pat Wink Martindale on the back again. Outside of a 25-yard pass to Adam Thielen down the right sideline, which, by the way, was completed right in front of me, uh, that was it. The only other pass plays that they had, there were two other ones of longer than 20 yards, but they were on catch and runs by Hawkinson. The Giants did not get beat deep. Xavier McKinney was all over the field, Sean. Oh, I don't know how great. you could see it on TV, but he I'm, made a big difference too. And I'm sorry. Uh, you know what? And we'll get to the effect. He got interfered with big time on a play that he could have got a pick. I thought that was Bush that there was – because if that's a receiver and McKinney's grabbing him like that, yeah. guess what? That's a flag. Uh, yeah, but you mean, yeah, you Mc mean that was about as, as good a call as Dexter Lawrence is roughing the passer while the ball you know, was still in Cousins' hand. And let's get into that now, okay? Fourth quarter, what could have been and what were game-changing plays, okay? Before we get to Dexter Lawrence, I got to be honest, Paul. I was a little chicken you-know-what. The going forward on fourth and one with Daniel Jones scared. I know it's the right call. Everybody in the room I'm watching with says, you got to go, it's the right call. I know that's yeah. modern football. I know it's Dable's aggression, and I know that's how they got there. Boy, was I petrified. But again the confidence and the trust in Daniel Jones. Hey, plow for the trust in your offensive line. That is a winning time coaching decision there, Paul. And that paid big dividends in the end. Keep the clock moving. No question. I, I marked down from, from my vantage point on the bench, I marked down key blocks by Feliciano and Glowinski on that quarterback. Guys to have been much maligned by some of the fan base too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. Here's what I want you to remember, and we told you this back in training camp on how offensive line coach Bobby Johnson loves Feliciano because he's like a rabid dog, and he calls Glowinski dirtbag, you know, because of his time that he was with him with the Colts. 
These guys are scrappers, okay? They don't do everything perfect. They're not the most technically sound guys you want to see. They're going to get beat sometimes by premier pass rushers who have athleticism and they're able to stunt through. It's going to happen sometimes. But when push comes to shove, you want that guy who's going to bite the nose off of your opponent. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, and with that, Paul, you have that play happen now defensively for a second. Okay. Well, I guess, you know what, before we get to the full defensive thing, offensively, the Darius Slayton drop is obviously enormous. Oh, my goodness. I mean, look, nothing new here with Slayton or the Giants offense. No matter what Daniel Jones does, there's always some kind of big drop. We saw Richie James <laughs> the first time in Minnesota. But I thought what was really the most interesting part about the Slayton drop is Darius Slayton's dropped a lot of passes in his career, okay? Brian Dable doing the opposite of what he's done a lot of times in these moments. He was completely consoling Darius Slayton and giving him the pick-me-up where we've seen him this year on the sideline basically give Slayton the business or other guys the business for those big mistakes. And, and Brian Dable, right temperature on the team, that was not the right time to go after Slayton, okay? We're in a playoff spot where if the game goes to overtime, you're probably going to need Slayton to go make a big play or, or be there. I thought that was incredible Brian by Brian Dable to completely switch up the flavor in which he coaches some of these drops. I, I mean, look, Slayton's head was completely in the clouds. Thank goodness we didn't need him again the rest of the game because you could see him on the bench. He just was emotionally devastated by that drop. But obviously the drop's a killer. Game is likely over. You're at the very least probably in field goal territory to make it a two-score game. Drop can't happen. But I did find Dable's coaching there to be very visually interesting. I, I think, and I haven't talked to Dave's about it since, but I think what he was trying to do, thinking that if the Vikings were to somehow come down in the final two minutes and score the tying touchdown, he knows he's going to need Slayton in overtime. Right. So the last thing you want to do right there is to make this guy feel any worse. Because if you saw Slayton coming off the field, his head was down, his his hands were in his face. Oh, he, he, was he was a that mess. He was a mess. That was as bad as I felt for an athlete watching on TV, the way the camera kept shooting him, that I've ever, I ever remember feeling bad. In some ways, reminiscent of Evan Ingram's drop in Philadelphia. Yeah. Which cost got, him a and, game, you know, right? And Paul, I got so mad at Slayton's drop versus Washington. I got so mad at this Slayton drop in real time. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going soft in my old age. I The shots of Slayton made me forget my anger towards him and actually feel genuinely bad for him as a human he being. He was... He he had melted in his own disappointment. And Dable, again, knowing the situation with the game, the way it was, he knew he had a count on this guy, and they were going to need him in overtime if Minnesota came back. I really believe that was his motivation. I want to take you behind the scenes for just a minute, though, Sean. I don't always get the chance to do this because I'm in the box when the Giants are home, but I'm on the bench and on the sideline when they're on the road. The entire game, there were guys not just crossing over units between defensive linemen and linebackers, running backs and offensive line. There were guys crossing over offense, defense, and special teams the entire game, talking each other up, cool. giving each other pointers, trying to, trying to see whatever they could do to help their teammates win this game. It happened throughout the entire game from the very beginning all the way to the end, the camaraderie and the brotherhood that I saw this 53-man roster and its coaching staff share on their bench yesterday 
it was almost as if it was a club of, of, of 10 guys so tightly close-knit and so close together that you could never imagine a team of 53 and a coaching staff on the field of about 12 or so being that close. It was truly remarkable. That's, I mean, that's all, and you get the vibe, I mean, right, when you're seeing some of the Instagram post-game stuff, Isaiah Hodgins, like, that locker room is so together, and look, it speaks volumes, that's how you stay together, and that's how you know, right, when Slayton drops the pass, and we'll get to the next play, that could have backfired on him, when the negative stuff starts happening in a tight spot, nerve-round spot, and they don't backfire, because we've seen plenty of games, right, where a bad drop, we look back and we're screaming and yelling about it, geez, Richie James this year with the, the muffed punts, and you just can't get over them for a week. The fact that the Giants still were over to come some of these obstacles and win a game, I think just speaks to the growth of the team. And that other obstacle that I thought combined with the slate and drop, and we'll talk about now, that Lawrence penalty is atrocious, Paul. It is as bad a playoff penalty. We've seen them throughout the years in Giant playoff games. We like, can you believe yeah. they called that? We know roughing the passer has been a point of emphasis, and I guess you want to say because his hand grazed his helmet less with the wrap down. That, in that spot, game on the line, is as soft a BS call as an official can make. And by the way, that could be an Eagle or Cowboy defensive tackle not named Dexter Lawrence versus some team I don't care about. I still would be saying the same thing. This isn't giant homerism. That is a weak-ass call. Yeah, I, 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 I've done everything I could do to try and understand it, and there's just no explicable way to look at that play. It was, it was really, really bad. But but rather than harp on that, I want to talk about the incompletions that Moreau and then Flott forced Bingo. on the ensuing plays in the series, which then wound up clinching the game as McKinney stopped Hawkinson on a man-to-man situation after the guy had killed the Giants for two consecutive games. Paul, you read my mind. The next thing I was going to get to was Cordell Flott at third and eight. You want to start Moreau first? Take it away. Well, I mean... I'm looking at it and I'm saying to myself, okay, well, where are they going to go? Cause they need the touchdown to tie. They got no timeouts. They're under two minutes to go. You know, where are they going to go? Well, it was that under two and a half to go. And, and Moreau read that play. He was all over uh, Osborne and fly. Could he have timed that any better? I mean, what? seriously, the timing was cool. absolutely incredible. Here's the beauty of the third and eight Cordell Flott play, okay? And I think that your average casual fan is not going to pick up on this, but there's so many diehard Giant fans that roll over this, okay? Flott on Osborne, incredible, incredible. Here's the deal. Cordell Flott barely played in this game, okay? And we saw him play really well in Philly. A rookie like that to come off the bench, hey, we need to stop here, need to stop here. So many rookie corners, and part of the growing of a corner, you see it all the time. A ball gets thrown in the receiver you're you're going with direction and you're reading their eyes and looking for them to turn around. It is such human instinct and so difficult to teach yourself as a corner not to take the glance and look up at the ball. Instead, just play the guy and play the ball that way. Because if he that one hesitation of looking up to see where the ball is, you will lose that half step, and then your arm is not in there to catch it. Cordell Flott saying, the heck with looking at the quarterback's eyes. I am looking at your eyes the whole time, and I'm poking my arm out there at the perfect time when I see you ready to extend is like an unreal mental capacity play by a cornerback, especially a rookie cornerback in that spot. Two points. First of all, it was that Moreau was on feeling on the, the earlier play. Yes. It was it was Osborne who, who wound up getting uh, the ball Flott, knocked out right. by Flott. Now, there are two trains of thought on this, Sean. There are defensive backs coaches 
that will teach technique of looking at the quarterback's eyes. So what you say is right and wrong because there are there are guys who will teach the technique of looking at the quarterback's eyes, and that's what they want their guys to do. I understand. There are that. other coaches who will tell you, do not ever look at the quarterback's eyes. I want you concentrating on the receiver's eyes and his body motions. So it's really an A or a B, a vanilla or a chocolate style of how they want you to play. But here's the point. If if you're the, the defensive back, in this case, flat, and you haven't played a ton of snaps, and you're now in that spot, you have to have the confidence and the assertiveness and the wherewithal not only to physically make that play, but to mentally not panic in that spot. Yes. You have to trust yourself. Right. And that's what Cordell Flott has. I told you when they drafted this guy, I saw him in training camp. He's got the tools. He's got the skill set. He's got the mental makeup. What he is, he's a little bit slight. We know that. He's going to have to put a little beef on his bones. But Cordell Flott is a cover corner. He's legit. Yeah, I, I'm excited to look forward to him, obviously, next year when he's going to probably take on a bigger role. And you're right. I mean, look, Osborne knows where he's going. Flott doesn't. And the way that that route was run, it's not like Flott backpedaling to read, you know, the quarterback size. To me, that was the play to make is just follow him, get my arm there, and boom. Perfect play. Didn't allow it to happen. Now, obviously, the fourth and eight gets completely disrupted because Dexter Lawrence is all world at this point. Yes. He absolutely panics Kirk Cousins into a throw short of the sticks. Paul, how many giant games over the last few years did we look at our offense and go, why do they keep throwing short of the sticks? Why do they keep throwing right. short of the sticks? It's the giant defense forcing a team with their season on the line to go short of the sticks. And McKinney with the bad hand. I mean, all Hawkinson would have to do is break a tackle out of him. Yep. What are we talking about, right? Adoree Jackson only allows Justin Jefferson the sixty, uh, the thirty-seven yards. Xavier McKinney, the game-ending tackle. Giants, a completely different defense with those two in it. McKinney saves the day at the end. You know, for the second straight game against the Giants, Hawkinson winds up catching double-digit balls for over a hundred yards. And for much of the game, I didn't understand why they had not made a better adjustment on him after what he did to them about a month ago. But it turned out in that spot, the biggest spot of all, McKinney was on him like a shadow. Yeah. The danger of it was there was no one else in the vicinity. Right. You're right. He misses that tackle. It's a big play, a very big play. But McKinney, on, on that play, that was his deal. He had to make sure that he was going to be on Hawkinson and that that was not going to be the escape hatch that Kirk Cousins was looking for. Yeah, and 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 he made the hit, and that's what it again is. Xavier McKinney. Another thing I want to go back to you with Sean. How many missed tackles did the Giants have yesterday? I don't remember any. I don't remember any. Okay, there's a reason why they finished tied with Washington for the fewest missed tackles as a defense in the NFL this year. When you are a sound tackling team, fundamentally, you do what you need to do. You have a chance to make plays like that. I'm going to be curious to hear if Wink Martindale has any thoughts on this. Maybe he already did. But the other thing, you know, when you talk about what the adjustments on Hawkinson, the one thing the TV broadcast did a good job of showing is how much offense the Vikings ran off of, you know, Hawkinson kind of behind Justin Jefferson in some of these routes and like pick your poison. And the Giants were overcommitting to shutting down Jefferson, which they should have. And it almost yeah. was as if the Giants had this game plan designed of whatever we do, don't let Cook and don't let 
Jefferson beat us. And if Hawkinson eats, Hawkinson eats. You can't you can't take care of anybody. And it was like, we're more than happy having Hawkinson go for 100 yards. We're going to take care of all these other guys because the play, the big plays will stop. It, it seemingly worked out. And in the end, obviously, the Giants are victorious. A couple other unsung heroes here. Number one, Kenny Galladay's run block. I mean, a guy comes in like that. Paul, he absolutely puts the corner on his ass. And again, a guy like that, a high-paid, let's call it bust of a free agent signing, who has to stay on this roster because you can't just cut him, it would be very easy for him to sulk, be inactive, do any of that. Comes out gladly for whatever plays and just throws his own the run blocking. Look, I think some of the stuff will always kind of laugh at the Kenny Galladay from a fan's perspective contract talk about what a bust it was. But I think there's at least a fan appreciation for Kenny Galladay willing to get dirty and do the dirty work and show he still cares. You know something, Sean? It didn't surprise me. I've told you about this guy all season long. I know the numbers were never there. I get that. But he cares. His teammates care about him and vice yeah. versa. And he works. And the truth of the matter is, you and I have both seen a lot of receivers who wouldn't have made that block. You're talking yeah. about the screen pass to Barkley, right? Yeah, yeah. When I, I mean, believe it was Shelley who wound up on his ass. Yeah, it was. He was. He, he declined him. He declined him. It was a great block. Blew it him was, out. It was unreal. Um, and yep. obviously Isaiah Hodgins goes for over 100 yards. First giant receiver to do that since the Wondell Robinson game in which he got hurt. Uh, how much, Paul, how much talk did we do for two weeks leading up to the trade deadline? And I was screaming about wanting to get a receiver to deadline. The deadline passes the next day. They claim a guy named Isaiah Hodgins off waivers. Ends up being better than any receiver that was traded around the deadline, including Chase Claypool. What, what a job by Dable and Shane getting Hodgins in here. And now he has become just a legitimate target for Daniel Jones. Yeah, there's no question that him and Jones really kind of clicked from, from the very get-go, and it was quick, and it was rapid. I think it's interesting that Hodgins, after the game, was talking about how when he was in Buffalo, uh, he and Josh Allen actually took some time to watch some of Daniel Jones' tape, believe it or I, not. I saw that quote. That's pretty crazy. And And when I heard him say that, that kind of caught me off guard because I hadn't heard him say that before. Right. But but he was being asked about Jones lifting his game to another level here in the playoffs. And that's when Isaiah kind of brought this out of his back pocket. And and you know what? Uh, it goes to show you about a quarterback's relationship goes well beyond the field with his wide receivers. Eli used to do this with his guys all the time. They would meet all the time on their own, have separate meetings from the coaches, Long after the coaches' meetings were done, they would have Eli would have separate meetings with his wide receivers because he always felt that they had to get the same kind of chemistry that the offensive linemen got within their room, thinking that that would benefit the team. Eli taught that to Daniel, and Daniel's now done the same thing with these guys. And yes. obviously, him and Hodgins have really hit it off. So, yeah. Sean, there's I, I put out I want to mention this before we go, because I don't know how much time we have, but I want to mention this. I posted it on my Twitter overnight. In my 40 years on the New York Giants beat, this team has gotten as far as it has and become the most surprising Giants team that I have ever covered. To think that this is the first year of a rebuild, and not like when Fossil won the division in 97, because they had a lot of talent on that team. And they didn't suffer the kind of injuries that this team suffered through. We're talking about 
rookies who came up big. We're talking about guys who came up big off of the recycle bin and just continued to grind and grind and grind. And now here they are in the second round of the playoffs. I can honestly tell you, 40 years, this is the most surprising result that I have ever seen from a New York Giants football team. That's incredible. That's incredible. What a magical, magical year this has been. And for at least another week, it gets to continue on, and we can kind of decompress, re-rev up, and get ready to try to beat the Philadelphia Eagles, Paul. So I I personally can't wait. Um, uh, By the way, I, you know, a little hard tip. I did pick 31-23. The game ends up being 31-24. So that wasn't, uh, that wasn't bad. Vikings and I was off by three points. Yeah, we're not bad. Vikings for dinner, Eagles for dessert. I love that. Uh, Paul, we're going to wrap up here, but I just think two things that any of our listeners would be curious about because you were in the locker room. Uh, early returns thoughts on uh, injuries, Ojolari and Pinnock. Pinnock went to the hospital, so I don't know if we have any more update on that. But the severity of Ojolari, did you get any sense after the game? Yeah, I talked to uh, Aziz afterwards. He was walking around well, did not seem to have too much of a, of a favoritism to, to his leg. Uh, he smiled. I asked him how he was doing. He said he was doing okay. I think there's a lot of optimism there. But again, he's had these soft tissue injuries, yeah. which are always very mysterious. Coming out of school, he had a knee. A knee. Yeah. And now but- these soft tissue injuries are catching up to him. I think there's optimism there, but we're going to have to see. Remember, the game is on Saturday in Philly. That's yeah. one less day. Uh, Pinnock, abdominal issue. I don't know the details of it other than he, they told, he told the Giants staff that he was feeling better, and they did bring him home. Okay. All right. So they, there you have it. So we will track that. We will be with you later in the week. But Paul will be at practice again. Shorter week, shorter turnaround. Saturday night is the game. Paul, where can everybody get you on Twitter? At Giants WFAN. And you can follow me at Mraz CBS. Hopefully my voice returns before the preview pod. Thanks to producer Adam. And thank you to everybody. Enjoy another playoff week here on One Giants.